Every time I sin, something dynamically happens inside of me and I need to respond to it. It's You could say it's similar like to like eating food. When you eat food, it doesn't matter what kind of food is. There is a reaction and there is a response of your body to the food that you just put in it. And so when I sin, there is a, res- a response that happens with me. And so the question is not ever will I respond to sin, but the question is always how will I respond to the things that I do wrong? Now, there are five possibilities here. There are five reactions to sin There are five responses. You have these options in your toolbox as well. Four of these are incorrect reactions to sin, and one of those is the correct one. If you make the right choice, you will be be set free. And that's why I titled the podcast, Four Things We Do to Make Life Hard on Ourselves. You may be surprised at at how difficult you make life on yourself by how you respond to sin. I want to share these four incorrect, adverse responses to wrongdoing, and and then I'm going to ask you questions throughout this podcast under or after each one so that you can examine yourself and to see if you have a habit of responding this way, one of these wrong ways, and if you do, you're making life really hard on yourself. And then I'll talk at the end, the fifth possible response to sin, and that is the only right answer. And if you respond that way, well, you're in a good place. And I do hope that is your habituation, that you respond in the biblical way to sin. If you are habituated that way, then you are truly set free. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are here and that you are listening. If you want to read this podcast, please Go to our website, and you can do that. The title, again, is Four Things We Do to Make Life Hard on Ourselves. Before I get into it, I do want to ask you for a favor. If you have benefited from these podcasts and from the resources that we provide, would you would you go on the platform in which you listen to this podcast and would you give us a five-star rating and would you write a brief review for that? If you do that, that helps us to rise higher in the rankings and it allows us to get to more people. And so if you would give us a five-star rating and and then give us a nice review. I really would appreciate it. And then the second thing that if you can do, I know you can do that, so please give us a rating on our podcast platform. The other thing is is that if you are benefiting from this work, would you consider supporting us for as little as $5 a month? If you would do that, I would be most appreciative. I haven't done this in a while, but several folks that I do want to acknowledge. Robin is one, Gregory, and then Gary and Barbara, Jay, Kimberly, Christy, Bonnie, Tom, June, Mary, Victor, Larry, Kevin, Linda, uh, thank Derek and Alan and Myra. Thank you all for recently becoming uh, supporting members of our site and helping us to spread the practical message of Jesus Christ around the world. And so if you benefit from these podcasts, would you write a review? 
uh, on the platform in which you are listening. And if you are able, if you could support us, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Four things we do to make life hard on ourselves. The good news is that when I mess up, when I sin, the good news is that I am a Christian. And what that really means is that I'm not a helpless victim to the power of sin. You, too, have a choice. A biblical response when things go wrong in your life, if you are a believer, if you've been born again, that's the way we have said it forever. If, if God has regenerated you, made you a new person in Christ, if you don't know what that means, if this is new to you, because I realize that our podcast goes uh, outside of the Christian bubble, and there are a lot of people that listen to us and respond to us who do not know Christ, and perhaps you're not a what we would call a believer, a Christian. You don't know how to become one. If you would write us, we would love to show you how to become a Christian, but if you are, it is very good news. You don't have to fall into the trap of these four adverse responses to sin. You can actually choose the one right answer because, because of God's power working in us. We can respond in wise, humble, and beneficial ways to our fallenness. God has given us a grace-empowered solution to sin. The strength to overcome is painful realities resides in us. You may want to make a note of this text, Ephesians 3.20. It is a beautiful passage of Scripture. Paul says, Now to him, Jesus Christ, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, we are equipped to be gospel-centered, gospel-motivated, and gospel-empowered aggressors in the war against evil. You and I can be biblically feisty when it comes to those things that trap us. It is up to us as to how we want to respond. No victimization is permitted here, no matter your plight. If Christ is your king, you have a way of escaping. That's the good news. The sad news is that we do not always access the power provided for us when sin happens. And as I have spent time reflecting on the ways that I, Rick, personally have responded to sin, I came up with four typical responses to my fight against evil all of them are wrong. Now, perhaps you have others. This is just my list, but I want you to listen as I share these things with you. And if you sound like this, even just a little bit, then I really want you to take heed and I want you to talk to somebody and I want you to get some help. And again, the title of the podcast, Four Things We Do to Make Life Hard on Ourselves. Here's my list. Here's number one, not necessarily in order, it just depends on the day, depends on who I've sinned against, but here's one, excuse, excusing. Making excuses is probably my most often used, used tactic to, to fake out myself and to fake out others. My old friend Adam, 
he used this approach in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.12. As you know, he, he made an excuse for why he sinned. And I have found it to be a tempting response when I do dumb things. The downside of, of those who live with me is how frustrating this response, making an excuse of what this response is, it, it, it does not get rid of my sin. It merely ignores it. You see, when you make an excuse for what you have done wrong, doesn't remove it. It's still there. And, and it, it, something odd happens at this point. You could say that making excuses ignores the sin, but the truth is it would be better to say it this way. It turns my sin into something that places a burden on those whom I have affected. It leaves them feeling a bit awkward because they know that I have not sufficiently or biblically responded to what I did wrong. Sin remains, and my family and friends have to live with the big elephant in the room. Perhaps you have have had that experience too, where someone sinned against you, possibly. Maybe you have sinned against them, and you ignore it by making an excuse. It doesn't go away, but now there's an elephant in the room. And if you keep doing this, there will be a herd of elephants in the room. When I resort to excuse-making rather than responsibility-taking for my actions— Life and relationships can only clunk along at best. Sin continues to live in my heart while infecting my relationships, particularly those with whom I am, I am the closest. And so the first wrong response to messing up committed sin is to excuse it. Now, with that in mind, I want to ask you just a handful of questions. Do you make excuses for your sinful actions? Number two, if so, why do you make excuses? Number three, what are you trying to accomplish? Number four, what are you trying to avoid? Sometimes when people make excuses, they are fearful, they are insecure. They don't want to own it. They don't, they don't want to be that vulnerable, that honest, that transparent in, in front of other people. They're trying to avoid something. What are you trying to avoid? And then finally, here's, here's a homework assignment for you. Write out and implement a better response to your sin. Will you do that? If you don't remember these questions, you can go to the article here and you can read exactly what I just shared with you and you can copy down, copy and paste all these questions here and you can work through this. But the first wrong response to sinning is to excuse. The second one is to justify. Number two, to justify. There are times when I will compare myself to others, which is part of the process I use to talk myself into thinking how my sin is not as bad as someone else's. You remember what, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. He said, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Like making an excuse to justify, it does not remove my sin either. You'll see a theme here that none of these wrong responses ever remove the sin. To justify, only temporarily mask it. 
Typically, when I go into a self-justifying mode, it is because I think I deserve something better than what I have. I'm not willing to give up my desire for whatever it is that I want, so I justify my actions. Justification is a form of anger that comes from an angry heart that says, I will get what I want regardless of what it costs or who I hurt in the process because I deserve to be happy. I am justified in my actions. That's what justification sounds like when you're justifying sin. Usually, the justifying person has not been able to deal with their disappointments in life. They have ongoing and unresolved discontentment with God. The person who justifies can be a bitter person because they have this long historical record of disappointment that has festered up this discontentment so when they get don't get what they want and they're called on it, they justify it. Disappointment is one of the more subtle forms of anger as well as one of the more common ways that Christians harbor in their hearts, harbor anger in their hearts. They talk themselves into being a victim of this or that because of what happened to them. They have reasons for how they deserve better when these victims do sin in the process of striving for whatever it is they feel they deserve, they justify their sinful actions. They convince themselves that they have been unnecessarily hurt and should be rewarded. It is a cycle that leaves many casualties. The first wrong response to sin is to excuse it. The second one is to justify it. Here are a few questions for you to think about under this category of justification. Number one, what is it you want so bad that you are willing to sin in order to get it? Number two, do you see how your justifications are only a mask for your sinful desires? Number three, what would need to happen for you to relinquish your cravings? Number four, what would need to happen to find greater satisfaction in the Lord? And then number five is your game plan. Make a a practical plan for change. We can excuse our sins away. We can justify our sins away. Number three, we can alleviate our sins. Typically, the person who seeks to alleviate his sin has more of an inward focus. Unlike the justifier or the excuser, who tend to point to externals, you caused me to do this, the excuser, for why they do what they do, the alleviator will do things internally to themselves. While the excuser and the justifier, they know the difference between right and wrong, They are not as introspective about their sin. They are looking outward to make allowances for what they are doing wrong. The way this works out practically for the excuser and the justifier is their response to sin is they put it on others while the alleviator chooses to punish or to blame themselves. This reaction is their version of self-atonement how they seek to pay for their sin. They are alleviating an inward activity. Let me give you a short list of of self-atoning, self-punishing responses to sin. You could also think of alleviate as trying to escape. 
Escape may be a good synonym for you to think about this idea of alleviation as, as it has this inward focus that I've been talking about. Here's a short list of self-atoning, self-punishing responses to sin that is designed to alleviate or help the person to escape drugs, sex, overeating, excessive TV watching, spending money, vacations, clothes, medication, excuse me, anger, cutting, self-loathing remarks. These responses are intended to help the alleviator in at least three ways. One, there is hope for comfort through medicating themselves, through any of these means or maybe others that you're thinking about. Number two, there is a feeling of payment for sin. Number three, there is a distraction from the guilt they feel. You remember the reason they were doing this in the first place? Because they feel guilty about something else that they have done. Unfortunately, none of these alleviating responses accomplish the attended goal of removing the sin. It continues to remain. The alleviating person creates another complicating problem. They become habituated or addicted to the thing they use for alleviation. I sin. In response to sin, I overeat. I feel guilty for overeating. You can see a cycle here. Four wrong responses to the things that we do wrong. One is excuse. Two is to justify. Three, I've been talking about alleviation. Here are some questions for you to ponder under this category of alleviation. Number one, do you have habit responses that you call upon to soothe your conscience? Number two, are you willing to talk about these habits with others to get some help? Number three, what is it about the grace of God that you believe is not as effective as these sinful habits? Think about the idolatry that is woven into this question here. We're making choices here. We're choosing. I want to appropriate the grace of God in my life, or I want to binge watch Netflix for the next 12 hours. Those are choices that we make. There is an idolatry that is in place. Number four, will you make a practical plan to amputate the ways you alleviate yourselves? This won't change the heart condition. This won't change what's going on inside of you, but it is a good start. And if your eye does offend you, pluck it out. If your hand does offend you, cut it off. If the TV is causing you to stumble, cut the tail off. Unsubscribe from that subscription that you have. And then finally, will you bring another person into your life to break free? Because amputation is not the whole answer. You're going to need some deeper help than behavioral modification, even though in this instance, behavioral modification is an excellent start. The title of the podcast, Four Things We Do to Make Life Hard on Ourselves. Do you hear yourself in any of this? Excusing, justifying, alleviating. And then the third one is to blame. To blame someone else for your sinful thinking or sinful behaving is another form of outward finger pointing. 
It is a game of deception that we play to keep the heat off ourselves. Here are two common ways that people can blame others for their problems. Quote, if you live with the woman I live with, you would be doing what I am doing. Quote, if you knew my dad, you would not be so judgmental about what I am doing. My list is longer than this when it comes to the art of blaming. The art form is as old as Adam and Eve. Blaming is just another sinful response to sin that never solves the real issue we have with our wickedness. The core issue with the blamer is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is a greater than, better than attitude. You can think of the self-righteous person as standing in a chair, looking down on another person. Self-righteousness is always an elevated view of oneself, and and that is the core heart issue of the blamer, an elevated view, a self-righteous view that is looking down on another person. The blaming person finds it difficult to admit they have done wrong. How could they? They are, they're so high. They're so elevated as they look down on the person they're pointing their finger at. They're overly in love with themselves to say that they made a mistake. They have a high view of themselves, which creates this insecurity. When you see someone who is self-righteous, who seems to be so full of themselves and so elevated, this way, don't dismiss the fact that there's a lot of fear working inside. There's a reason that they want to be elevated because they are afraid of being down on my level, your level, our level, and making common admissions for when we do wrong. They want you to believe their lies so you will esteem them in a manner in which they wish. This methodology allows them, at least, at least in their minds, To elevate themselves above others, they put the problem on someone else rather than humbly taking responsibility for what is wrong. Typically, the blamers are aware of their sin. They're not that disconnected from the reality of what they are doing. But it is hard for them to own their sin. People's opinions matter too much for them. They want to look good at all costs even if it means putting the cause of their sin in the lap of another person, the blamers. Here's a few questions for you to think about under this category of blame. Number one, do you have a habit of blaming others for your problems? Number two, why do you crave the opinion of others if you have a habit of blaming others for your problems? Number three, why is it God's opinion not only satisfying you, but controlling your thought life. I mean, if it's satisfying you, then it's controlling you. Why is it God's opinion satisfying you by controlling your thought life, which would control your thought life? Number four, will you ask a friend to hold you accountable, to help you, to stop blaming? It's going to take some blunt honesty on your part. You have to get down off the chair and come down to that level and have a humble response or a humble conversation with your friend. And then finally, begin today asking the Lord to give you the grace to own your sin. The problem with all four of these attempts to respond to sin is how they will harden your conscience. Your conscience is your co-knowledge, 
your inner voice. It's our inner voice. Our inner voice acts like a moral thermostat. It tells us when we have done wrong, the beauty of the conscience. It alerts us to the need to repent. Like the sounding of an alarm, when you, when you sin, you hear the sound, ding, 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 ding. The, the moral thermostat, it rises. You can see it rising. That's what the conscience does. When we choose any of the responses that I have described as a solution to sin, well, it's not a solution. But if you go that route, a layering of the conscience effect begins to take place. A thin layer will come over your conscience. It's the hardening process. And in the long run, it will desensitize you, me, to God's conviction, which is a means of grace that God gives us to motivate us to change. In time, you'll not be able to feel the Spirit's conviction. He will be quenched and grieved once a conscience becomes hardened, layered over many years of, of doing the very thing that I'm saying don't do, the person becomes morally dysfunctional, not able to discern or respond to right and wrong. This condition is an awful place to be. I do not want to come to the place in my life where I cannot discern good from evil. I do not want to be self-deceived. It's like the guy who never heard himself speak on a recording, and after he did for the first time, he's shocked. He blurted out, do I sound like that? What he does not understand is everybody in the room already knows how he sounds. The only person who is surprised is the person who did not perceive his real self. When it comes to masking our sin through these mechanisms that I have mentioned, excusing and justifying and rationalizing and blaming, well, that's called self-deception. Have you ever been around a person who does not seem to perceive what he is doing to himself? I don't want to be that guy. If you don't want to be that person, pray this way. Dear Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see the real me. Here's a few questions for you to think about along these lines. Do you know that people's opinion of you is different from your opinion of you? Like the person who first hears himself on the, on the audio recording. Do you allow your friends to be honest with how they perceive you? Are you that vulnerable? Your closest network of friends, do you allow them to enter into your bubble to share how they perceive you? How about this? Are you willing to draw them out about how they see you? Will you ask a friend to tell you how he sees you? And will you respond in grace to what they say and make a plan to change? There are four wrong responses to sin. I titled the podcast, Four Things We Do to Make Life Hard on Ourselves. Well, there is a fifth response. There is only one way to respond rightly to sin. Rather than to choosing to work slavishly through the aforementioned human-centered responses to sin, guess what? God judged his son on the cross to give us the only acceptable eraser of our sin. He only asked us to accept the judgment of his son as the final right answer for our sin problem. Rather than going through the motions of self-deception, he is calling us to trust him through humble confession and personal ownership 
of our sin. He wants us to accept the transformative power that he holds out for us. It is a call to humble ourselves before the cross of his son and be amazed as the chains of sins drop to to the ground. True freedom comes through the door of humility, honesty, transparency. If you are like me, trained in the art of deception, I appeal to you to drop the mask and trust God. A few final questions. Do you ever choose any of these four responses to sin? Excusing, justifying, rationalizing, blaming, alleviating? Do you choose any of those? Are you aware of how much wrong choices are desensitizing, how those wrong choices are desensitizing your conscience? Do you have friends who see you through a biblical lens and love you enough to tell you what they see? Another question, what is it about honesty and transparency that makes you afraid? Two more. Do you need some help in practically applying the gospel to your life? If so, finally, will you talk to your pastor or another spiritual leader about your struggle? Let us know how we can serve you. If you want to read this podcast, I would encourage you to do so. Four things we do to make life hard on ourselves. If you want to share it with a friend, if you're discipling someone, counseling someone, I highly recommend that you would do that. Have them read over it. I've got several scriptures embedded here and a ton of questions. You have heard them. A ton of questions for them to take the time to reflectively think about their lives and how they interact with other people. And if you need some help further putting some pieces together or some more articles that we can share with you, we would love to do it. If you appreciate this podcast and what we're doing, would you please go write a review? Uh, on your podcast platform. Thank you very much. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.